0: This is the Zen Nova Scotia podcast with talks by Cohn Friends. If you would like to support and be part of our community, you can start by visiting ZenNovaScotia.com. I had a plan this evening to talk about one thing, and I'd been working on that. And then I found that actually I was really interested in something else. So... Um, it'll be a little bit loose. When I was in college, I started meditating when I was 17. And then I started doing zazen when I started college. And it was a very strange time for me people always want to pinpoint what is uh, the effect of zazen or the effect of meditation and i think it's almost impossible to do that because your life is too complicated for that and who knows but i know that at that time in my life as part of taking up a sitting practice i had become very interested in my mind Maybe for the first time in my life, I was reading lots of books about how people have amazing experiences, sometimes with meditation, sometimes with drugs, and I suddenly thought this is a really interesting space in a way that I hadn't. And what I remember so clearly from that time was I kept going back to my my college girlfriend, And I was trying to explain to her over and over that it wasn't that I was crazy, but that I really understood for the first time that I could be crazy. I felt like I could almost see a line inside my mind that I could go over. That it was it was available to me, it was it was it was visible, where where I could chase a delusion or I could chase a fantasy beyond ordinary what is ordinarily acceptable. I felt that I could I could choose a life within my mind of a particular kind. And that wasn't something that I had had seen before. And so I sat on this side thinking, well, I'm, I'm a normal person. But I also felt that if I closed my eyes, I could see in the distance a, almost like a kind of madness. And, of course, if I'd never said anything, it would have been fine. But I kept trying to reassure her because I wanted her to understand my inner life <laughs> You shouldn't be worried, (laughs) but I see madness very clearly. And and this took on a lot of different shapes for me, this kind of investigation of of what was going on inside my head. Another very clear memory for me from that time, maybe, maybe when I was 20 years old. So I was driving with my friends at night downtown. And I suddenly, for just a a fraction of a second, felt that I saw a person in white on a bicycle go in front of the car. And I slammed on the brakes. And everyone kind of jerked. And they said, what happened? Because there was no bicyclist. There was nothing there. And maybe it was a light Maybe it was a reflection of something. It happened very quickly. But I was fascinated for days, for weeks by this experience of how in, in that, that fraction of a second, I was able to construct something completely three-dimensional and plausible in front of myself. And again, it, it left me wondering what I was capable of and what everyone was capable of. That's one part of this. Another part of this this narrative, and and this came up yesterday, was the first time that I sat in a seshin. Many of you participated on Saturday, and we sat all day. And it's it's a very different thing to sit all day than it is to sit for 20 minutes or to sit for an hour there's a frustration involved in sitting all day that's different and and there's a sense of banging your head against the wall that's different, at least for me I think if you sit often enough and then you know that, you know, on Tuesday night no matter what it'll be over soon (laughs) right (laughs) But if, but if you show up in the morning on Saturday, you can lose that sense of whether this will ever end. And if you go to a seshin and you start at 3 in the morning, and you're going until 9 o'clock at night, and you know that the next morning the only thing that's waiting for you is the same, it's, it's very hard. And my experience, the first time I attended seshin, it was in Japan. And by this time I had been sitting for years and I thought of myself as a meditator and and I had a regular daily sitting practice and I finally went to this monastery and I sat down and I just did not move basically for hours and hours and hours. And I was confronted very directly with the fact that I was not who I thought I was. That's one. And two that I was not who I wanted to be. It was devastating. I thought that I had a certain level of discipline. I thought I had a certain kind of clarity of view. I I thought I had a certain level of patience, a certain level of equanimity. But if you could have plugged a microphone into my mind what you would have heard would be screaming. It wasn't even fully formed thought. It was me facing a wall like this and just screaming, hating every moment of it. And along with that, in many ways, myself. I was so disappointed in myself the first time that I had that, that kind of practice experience. It was a complete letdown. And I left and I said, I will never go back to that place. Ever. And then I ended up living there for years. (laughs) uh, I don't know anything. So what's on my mind, I think, is partly what we bring to this experience of sitting. And I use sitting as the frame for this conversation, but I think just as with with me in college, if you've come to sit, it means something's happening already in the way that you're looking at yourself. And it's going to be happening when you're not sitting as well. But we bring to this practice, almost inevitably, an idea of what we want to see in it and the person that we want to be as we're seeing it and we can be trapped in the larger Buddhist world by all this language about purity of view and purity of intention and clarity of mind these are very dangerous ideas Because the reality is that when we start looking at our minds, what we find is this this unbelievable complexity. I think I believed, I know I believed, that I I would enter into this practice and I would meditate and that I would discover in myself a kind of pure self. Something that was very clean, and 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 by clean, I think I mean very simple. That there was some version of me that could shake off all these other things that go in, on inside my mind that seem not healthy or not constructive or not what I want to cultivate. That if I were just like a dog shaking off water, right? That I could do that and what I would be left with was something that knew exactly what it wanted, and that what it would want would be something so good, you know? There's this very dangerous cultural story about how we're all born tainted, (laughs) but there's another dangerous story about how we're all fundamentally good, because we can deeply misunderstand that idea. What we are is we're deeply human. I have never had the experience in Zazen of sitting down and seeing myself in exactly the way I wish I could. For those of you just starting, sorry. (laughs) what what has happened is that Zazen in many ways has given me opportunities especially when it's been something like Saturday when it's a little bit more intensive to really look hard at how many little doors there are inside the mind and and I think that when we're younger or maybe some of us if we just keep a certain trajectory we're able to keep those doors closed you know, we we might, if we were drunk maybe we'd admit that they were there but but you can have you know uh, uh, you can have an angry thought or you can have a violent thought or you can have a fantasy that has some element of revenge in it and it can flash by you just like that guy on the bicycle and you can decide if you want to if you're used to doing this you can decide to say that didn't really happen and you can keep going but if you sit down and you look at yourself long enough and hard enough you start to lose the ability to do that And so you have that violent fantasy with no provocation, for no reason. And the only thing that you can say to yourself is, I am also this. And it reveals, if it reveals anything, that there's probably a lot more where that came from. And you can want something. Or you can feel entitled to something. You can can have some emotional experience that your objective self frowns upon. (laughs) Right? And you can have it in a very profound way. (laughs) And again, when you take up a practice of this kind, whatever it is, you can't look away from it. That doesn't mean we indulge it, right? We look it right in the face and say, Yep, I'm that too. I am also that is such a basic experience of what's happening in this room. But of course, the other side of I am also that, if we just want to twist it a little bit, is I am not just that. Right. If we're saying also, there's more. And so the other thing that we're able to realize, I think with time, and this, is, this one can be harder, this one can take more, uh, can take a more painful route, to get there but we can come to realize that the thing that seems to to dominate our mind the door that we cannot seem to close is still just one door there's nothing simple about us if you ever find yourself feeling like a simpler version of you, you're doing it wrong. You might on some days feel like a stronger version of you or a clearer version of you. But if it feels that parts of you are falling away, I think that only means that there are parts of you that you're not looking at anymore. And I'll add just one thing to this, because for me, I I have to say it over and over again. I think it's so critical that fundamental to my understanding of, of Buddhism and of this kind of practice is that whatever you're discovering about yourself is something you're simultaneously discovering about everyone. We don't get to be special. We don't get to have special aspects of our minds that no one else could possibly understand, that no one else could possibly access. In some ways we want that kind of loneliness. Right? We want to imagine that there are doors that no one else could see. But I think that when we look at ourselves deeply and we look at the people in our lives deeply, especially people that we know very well and have known over a long period of time and where we've seen their cracks, we have evidence that their complexity is equal to ours. And since I'm going with the basic idea that ours is more or less infinite, theirs is more or less infinite. And infinite is the same. (laughs) No matter the container. I find this incredibly freeing in my life. Both with people with whom I'm intimate and people I just met. To know that they are carrying as much as I am carrying. And to know that they can still be surprised by themselves to the degree that I can still sometimes be surprised by myself. And especially to which I used to be surprised by myself. I'm getting boring. I think there's great intimacy in that. There's intimacy of our own experience and there's intimacy of relationship. And, and for me, a lot of the basis of tolerance is there. And this is another installment of there's no good news to this practice. But to me, it always feels a little bit like good news. I'll stop there. For more information about Zen, our practice, and how you can support and take part in our community, please visit ZenNovaScotia.com.